0: We are here to talk about how to share the Word of God more effectively, and uh, the title Watch and Observe is probably a little misleading because um, it really doesn't encapsulate what we are going to cover. I usually just change titles. You know, they ask you for titles like a month or so in advance, and you give them the titles, and then you pray that your message goes somewhat with it. So what we are going to do is, first of all, we are going to look at four reasons that we give Bible studies, and then I'm going to go through ten points that we will remember, we will want to keep in mind as we give Bible studies. We've already prayed. I have a friend, I'm into this mentoring thing, and so I have a friend, his name is Bob Stevens. Bob Stevens moved into the Lady Lake, Florida, probably... I don't know, it's been probably about four years ago now. And uh, he, was not, he and his wife were not attending church on any regular basis. And then he came to church. He said he liked the sermon. And then I asked him, I said, uh, Bob, you know, would you, like to, uh, would you like to go on a Bible study with me? And he said, sure, I'll go on a Bible study with you. And so he went on a Bible study with me. And that was like a year ago that we started doing this. Now, when I go out of town, guess who does the Bible studies? Bob does. Guess we had these literature evangelists come through Lady Lake over the Christmas holiday. And when they left, they left us this stack of people to follow up on literature evangelism leads. And so my secretary is calling these people, setting up appointments. And guess who is now giving a Bible study to a man that I personally have never met? Bob is all because someone bothered to take time to be with Bob and to show him how to do it. You know, my, my ministry initially was just train the masses. But, but sometimes, and you know, we need to train the masses. And at the same time, we need to take one to three people, just like Jesus did, right? And we need to mentor those people in ministry. Jesus, of course, handled ultimately 12, but how many did he have in his inner circle? He had three. That's absolutely right. So we're simply going to look at the fourfold purpose of giving a Bible study. We're going to look at these verses that are on the screen and that is going to help us know what our first purpose for giving a Bible study is. Before we read these, I want to know, tell me, anyone in here, tell me what is the reason we give a Bible study on the 2300-day prophecy? Why do we do that? This is a trick question and, and if you get it wrong, I'm going to tell you you got it wrong. Uh, but I'll be gentle about it. Why do we give a Bible study on the 2300-day prophecy? Yes, sir. Okay, so the prophetic aspect of we can prove that this is valid. All right, I like that. Yes, sir. All right. I learned that from my students. They say, well, I agree with you. Okay, very nice, very nice. What is the 2300-day prophecy about? The 23, you, you say second coming. Somebody else said what? Judgment. Sanctuary, if you were going to boil the 2300-day prophecy down to a name, whose name would you give it? Jesus' name. Because the 2300-day prophecy is about Jesus Christ in the sanctuary, cleansing the heavenly sanctuary, and did you know that he has an earthly temple today? It's us So he's in that sanctuary cleansing his sanctuary down here. That's the 2300-day prophecy. I used to teach the 2300-day prophecy, 457 B.C. Let's go through Daniel chapter 9. We get all the way down here. Here we are at the 1844. Judgment begins. Get your life right or you're going to the bad place. For me now, the 2300-day prophecy is all about Jesus Christ. What is the purpose of teaching someone about the seventh-day Sabbath? Answer, please, give me some indication here. Why are we teaching people about the Sabbath truth? Because that's our connection with our Lord and Savior. How do we communicate that in a Bible study about the Sabbath? All right. Well, can't, can't I fellowship with him on seven days of the week? So, but Sabbath for you is on Saturday. Sabbath for me could be Friday. Okay, as for for me, I'll get to you. As for me, suppose I'm the Protestant Christian that worships on the first day of the week. Uh, For me, I've always had an incredible relationship with Jesus. And I've never worshiped on the seventh day of the week. Okay, so for me, as a Protestant individual that has always had an incredible relationship with Jesus, who goes to church on the first day of the week, how are you going to help me transfer from first day to seventh day worship. Okay, so can you, can you show me that bonding element in Scripture? By the, by the way, let, let me just say something here. Many of us are from a generation, and I'm including myself in that. By the way, I don't know if you do this, but I started quite recently. Every 30 minutes, my, my watch starts beeping, except for when I'm up front preaching while we're on air. And that reminds me that I need to talk to God every 30 minutes, talking to God. So I don't know if you want to start doing that, but the watch goes off, I reset it for another 30 minutes, and I just say talk to God about something, and then I go on. And I'm finding that I get to pray for a lot more people that way throughout the day. Anyway, let's go back to this. Why are we presenting the Sabbath topic to individuals that have always had an incredible relationship with Jesus? We are from a generation where if you prove this to me from Scripture, then I am going to follow it. You prove it to me, and then I will follow it. We are no longer in that type of an atmosphere when it comes to sharing biblical truth. We are in an atmosphere where, yes, I want to see it in the Bible, but how is that going to give me a different relationship with my God? That is what, and and you work with young people all the time. My understanding is that is what young people want. Young people want to experience that relationship with God. This is why they will move from a seventh-day church to a first-day church. Because in that first-day church, they are finding an experience. And it's not just about music. It's it's a real touchy-feely, relational experience with God. So I'm going to share with you how I do this on the Sabbath when it comes to having a relationship with God. We've we've always had a great relationship as a Protestant first day keeper with the Lord, yet I want to get somebody to back up one day and apply that Saturday to the Lord Jesus. At creation, and remember, we haven't even gotten to the first purpose, but the reason I'm telling you this is because the first purpose is the reason that we give Bible studies at all. What did God create on day one? Light. Light. What did God create on day four? Sun, moon, and stars. So God takes day four and He fills up the empty space of day one. Do you find that? All right, what did He create on day two? And? Separated that from? Water. So what did He create on day five? Birds and fish. So He takes day five and He fills up the empty space of day two. What did He create on day three? The earth and vegetation. And what did he create on day six? Land, animals, and people. So he takes day six and he fills up day three. So empty space, empty space, empty space. Let me fill it up, day four. Let me fill it up, day five. Let me fill it up, day six. When it comes to the seventh day Sabbath, God created an empty space of time. When Moses was walking by that bush, you know, we could argue that Moses had been by that part of the Mount Horeb. He had been by that mountain many times. And all of a the sudden, there is this bush that's burning and the voice comes out of that bush that tells Moses to do what? Take your shoes off because the place where you are standing is what? What made that Holy. The presence of God. How many days a week should we worship God? Seven days a week. How many days of the week did God... I jumped ahead of myself. When you go to Joshua, Joshua is standing on one side of Jordan River. They're going to go ransack Jericho just by marching around it. And then God's going to make the wall fall down. He meets the captain of the Lord's host. And the captain of the Lord's host says, Take off your sandals for the place you are standing is what? holy when we are teaching people about the sabbath and they've always had an incredible relationship with god you have to open for them the portal of time where god put his presence when it comes to the seventh day sabbath the bible says that god blessed it he sanctified it what does sanctified mean set apart to make it holy So God takes an empty space of time, and what does He put in that empty space of time that makes it holy? His presence. So where then will we experience an incredible encounter with God more so than any other day of the week? Seventh day, which is exactly what you were beginning to describe to me. And that's why I asked, can you please tell me how to show that experience that you had out of Scripture? That's how you show it. Let's go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And you will notice all throughout when I'm um, teaching us today, I am going to repeat the references When you are giving a Bible study, repeat the references so many times so that people don't have to ask you where you are going. It's embarrassing for somebody to have to continue asking, where are we at? Where are we going? Make it easy. We're going to John, the third chapter, and the 14th verse. John, chapter 3, and verse 14. When I'm giving Bible studies, I will pass up John. I will pass it up. And if somebody else is still looking for John, I will pass it up again. And immediately when they get there, I turn there. John chapter 3 and verse 14 says this, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be what? Lifted Lifted up. For what purpose? Look at the next verse. That whosoever... Believeth in him should not perish but have what? Eternal life. Eternal life. So, the first reason that you and I are going to give Bible studies is to do what? Life. To lift who up? To lift up Jesus Christ. Let's go to John 12, 32. Jesus is speaking here as well in John, the 12th chapter, the 32nd verse. John 12, uh, if we were not recording this, I would be asking you all to read it, but they are recording it, so I'm going to read these verses, but if you and I were sitting down and doing a Bible study with each other, all of us would be reading. When I'm teaching people how to give Bible studies, everybody has to read. When I'm giving Bible studies, only the people that are comfortable reading have to read. You have to give Bible studies in a way that people want to be there. Don't, Don't make them feel super uncomfortable. The Word of God is going to do that if their life is not lined up with what God is saying. And we learned a little bit about that last night. John 12 and 32, it says this, Jesus talking, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. So who did Jesus say? What did He say would be the the way that people are drawn to Him? Lifting him up. When it comes to the 2300 day prophecy, Jesus is in a heavenly sanctuary and Jesus is working to cleanse us down here on this earth. The whole thing is about Jesus. Amen. When it comes to the Sabbath, it's not just about the end of the week. Yes, the commandment says the seventh day is the Sabbath. Yes, you have proved to me beyond any shadow of a doubt, but I'm a millennial. I want to experience Jesus and I'm experiencing him on the, the uh First day of the week, so why are you telling me I need to go to the seventh day of the week? You know, at at Lady Lake and Leesburg, we are giving Bible studies to numerous people. We have people that knock on the door of the church and say, hey, can you tell me more about the Sabbath? I told you last night, Miss Deliverance joined the church three weeks ago by profession of faith. Miss Deliverance had been in her uh, Pentecostal congregation for 30 years, had deaconess, Head greeter, uh, one of the elders. I mean, this lady had just been at the top echelon of this church for 30 years. She comes to my office and she says, Explain to me Exodus 28 through 11. Explain to me Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Please explain to me Isaiah 58, verse 13. Please explain to me all of these verses in Scripture that dealt with the Sabbath. She said, I can't get these verses out of my mind. I need to talk to someone about it. Three weeks ago, she joins the Adventist church. (laughs) Miss D calls up, or she shows up at church two years ago. Doesn't come back for two years and she, she's sitting in the congregation. She comes out at the end of the sermon. And I said, my friend, tell me about yourself. You're here this week. How did you get here? She said, somebody gave me some material about three years ago. I sold a house to a guy about three years ago, and he gave me some material on this Seventh-day Sabbath thing. And I can't get it out of my head. Two weeks, this, the fourth, last Sabbath, Miss D joined the Seventh-day Adventist church. There are people that are looking for a closer relationship with Jesus. When you lift up Christ as the blessed hope in your Bible studies, you can expect that they are going to give their hearts, give their lives, give their time, give everything that they are to this man, Jesus. People, are not, people do not have a relationship with a truth. Understand this. People have a relationship with Jesus Christ who is the truth. Our Bible studies must center on Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.2, Paul says, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him what? Crucified. And then, dear heart, it is after that that Paul gets into adornment. He gets into how we should worship. Paul understood that there were things in our lives that would separate us from this Jesus Christ who is our blessed hope. So the first reason we give Bible studies is why? To lift up Jesus. A Bible study on the state of the dead. It's very easy to show in Scripture that when you die, you don't go anywhere right then. It's very easy. Yet how do I make that the center? How do I make the center of that Bible study Jesus Christ? Because Jesus is the one that people have a relationship with. He's the one that's going to wake us up. That's right. We come from a generation of prove it to me and I will swallow it, no matter how difficult it is to swallow. We are dealing with a generation that doesn't have that same mindset. We are dealing with a generation of individuals that are functioning on their own experience. So, how can we do our Bible studies in a way that creates an experience with God? That's what. the the younger generation is looking for today in in my interaction with young people. And I've had just a little bit of that. Uh, Evangelism, page 181 says, the more closely ministers, by the way, that would be us at this point. We are ministers of the gospel. The more closely ministers discern Christ and catch his spirit, the more forcibly will they preach the simple truth of which Christ is the center. Let's break this down a little bit. If you and I are in love with a truth such as the Sabbath, all we are going to do is we're going to go to the law of God and we're going to say, this is why we should do it. But if we are in love and have a relationship with the God of the Sabbath, that is who we are going to focus on when we share the gospel in the Sabbath, when we share the gospel in the 2300-day prophecy, when we share the gospel in what happens when you die. Second reason. That we give a Bible study. We're going to speed up just a little bit. Let's go to Acts chapter 8 and verse 30. Acts is to the right of the book of John. You were just in the book of John, so let's go to the right. And we are going to go to Acts chapter 8 and verse 30. Now, if somebody would like to borrow my Bible so you can read along, you're more than welcome. I can use my phone if somebody would like to borrow a Bible. Anybody? All right, so here we are Acts chapter 8 and verse 30. Now, here's the background of this verse. I've got to share this with you. Keep your finger in Acts chapter 8, verse 30, and go to Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. Nehemiah. So if you find the first and seconds in the Old Testament, and then you continue to the right after the the last of the first and seconds, which is the Chronicles, just continue to the right, you're going to have Ezra and then Nehemiah. So it's going to be to the left of Psalms, Uh, find the first and seconds, go to the right of the first and seconds, you're going to have Ezra, Nehemiah, chapter 8 and verse 8. This little tidbit right here is going to revolutionize the reason that you turn to particular Bible references. Mm -hmm. Nehemiah, chapter 8 and verse 8. By the way, when you're giving Bible studies and you hear somebody say, Nehemiah, you confirm it as the, as the instructor. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. And it reads like this. So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Three things that we are to do when we read from the word of God. The first one is what? To read distinctly. I'm going to read a verse for you right now. And I'm going to read it non-distinctly. Okay, I'm just going to turn to a reference. Some people say, hey, you memorized that reference. So I just turned. I have no idea where I'm at yet. But I'm praying it's not numbers, you know, when they're talking about all the people. But uh, here we are in Joshua. This is Joshua. Uh, let's go to Deuteronomy 34, verse 1. So I'm going to read indistinctly. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab unto the mountain of Nebo to the top of Pisgah that is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan. That is reading. You could understand everything I said. But if you're hearing this for the very first time, you're thinking to yourself, okay, who is Moses? Who is is this Nebo, or it's a mountain, Nebo? And then there's Pisgah and the land of Gilead. Now I'm going to read to you the very same verse, and I'm going to read it distinctly. And if if you can't read distinctly today, practice. Every night in our house, we have family worship. I pray, we read. At night, we read a book that carries a moral theme throughout that book. In the morning, we read from the Bible with our family. In the evening, we read from a storybook, a mission book, something like that. And I'm always practicing reading distinctly. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab unto the mountain of Nebo, to the top of Pisgah that is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan. That was the second time I read that verse today. I read it first indistinctly, and then I read it distinctly. To read distinctly, all you have to do is read in phrases. In family worship, how many of you have family worship? You have family worship? Sit down and read something together. Read out loud, and practice looking up at your family while you are reading. Uh, when we were running the school, I would tell my students, "It's when it's your turn to read. If you don't look at me while you're reading, I'm going to walk out of the room." And when you finish reading your passage, you're going to look up and I'm not going to be there. And they just chuckled like you're chuckling right now. But I can't tell you how many times I walked out of the room and the student didn't even know that I was out of the room. Why? Because they weren't making sure that I was picking up what they were laying down. They didn't know whether I was catching what they were throwing or not. They couldn't tell if I was smelling what they were cooking. Thank you. Finally, someone cracks a smile. You guys are awesome. So Nehemiah 8.8 said, read from the word of God distinctly and then give the sense. So I'm going to give you the sense of Acts chapter 8 verse 30. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 30, the situation is that Philip has been called by God to help this Ethiopian eunuch understand something. I've given you the sense of Acts chapter 8, and boom, now we're going to go into verse 30. If I just read verse 30 without giving you the sense, then you would say, Why am I even here? Um, when, when I'm teaching uh, students to give Bible studies, you have to remember, you need to keep reminding the student why you are in that particular verse. Keep reminding them why you are following this train of thought. Keep reminding them of the point and the purpose of your study. That keeps them focused. It it helps them to know why they are there. Then it says, after they read distinctly, they gave the sense, then they caused the people to understand. You take those three principles in Nehemiah 8:8 8, 8, and you apply them to every Bible study that you give and people will just be flabbergasted because of what they are learning. So here we are, Acts chapter 8 verse 30. This is where Philip the evangelist meets this Ethiopian eunuch and what does it say here in Acts chapter 8 and verse 30? And Philip ran thither unto him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? Now, you and I would ask the question a little different. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip was concerned that this Ethiopian eunuch was not understanding what he was reading. The second reason that you and I give Bible studies is to inform the understanding. When people understand something, they are convicted. God convicts them. If we give a Bible study in such a way that it's not easy to follow, people are not convicted, they're confused. Confusion and conviction carry the same Facial expression. The exact same facial expression is conveyed to you as the Bible instructor by facial expressions. This afternoon, we're going to be... I'm sorry, Doc, you're not going to be here this afternoon. But this afternoon, we are going to learn how to overcome excuses with Scripture. And we'll be talking a little bit this morning, so you'll catch a little of this, about how to read people's body language. For instance... When uh, Bob and I are sitting down in, uh, let's go with Christina. We studied with Christina on Thursday mornings. I was not there yesterday morning, so Bob and Miss Annette went and studied with Christina. When Christina is on her face, taking care of little Malachi, Isaiah's in school. When she all of a sudden crosses her arms like this and it's not cold in the house, you tell me, should I ask her to make a decision when her arms are crossed? The answer is no. Do you know? I keep my arms crossed probably for about 35, 40 seconds. I've made a science of this. It seems to work. And so then I will slowly release my arms, and her arms will begin to release. I'm mirroring her to begin with, and then she's mirroring me, which, and when her arms are no longer crossed, that's when I ask for a decision. I don't ask for decisions when people's arms are crossed. I don't ask for decisions when people uh, do something like this. I don't know if your camera's gonna be able to get this, but when, when somebody is normally sitting like this and all of a sudden they do this, that person is completely in a mental position not to make a decision. You ever go buy a car? I sit like this when I'm buying a car. I do. And finally, when they come to terms, I do like this. When people sit like this, they're not going to make a decision, no matter how informed you have made them. But you watch them, and they'll they'll start to relax. Then you, you start to relax with them. And when they're completely relaxed, that's when you ask for the decision. If we could read the body language of people we would become much more effective. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus would look out on the crowd. I think maybe it's not the Bible. Maybe this is in the desire of ages. Jesus would look over the crowds to find people whose countenance was toward him, people whose demeanor was open, and it was expressed by the way they held their body. Uh, Many of you have been in churches long enough to have sat on a board meeting and when you sit on a on a board meeting and people get really uptight about things, you can tell their body language is reflecting their emotion. Is this true? Same thing happens when you're giving Bible studies. What's the first reason without looking at the screen that we give a Bible study? To lift up Christ. Lift up Christ. What's the second reason that we give a Bible study? That's right, to inform the understanding. The third reason that we give a Bible study is to move the feelings. People make decisions on two fronts. They make decisions on intellect and emotion. When you get a decision for Christ, you want both the intellect and the emotion to function together. If you just get the emotion, all you're going to have is a Pentecostal. Not a denomination, but that's the individual you're going to have as a Pentecostal of just touchy-feely. If you just get the information, all you're going to have is a legalist. If they both come together, you have the person's heart and their mind, or God has them. Let's go to Luke, the 20, or Acts. We're in Acts, so let's stay there. Let's go to Acts 25. So I'm turning to the right to Acts, the 25th, 24th chapter, and the 25th verse, Acts 24 and verse 25. Now, the context here is that Felix and his wife Drusilla are, she, let's see, where are they? Well, anyway, wherever they are, they're together. And they send for Paul and they want to hear from Paul concerning who? Jesus Christ. Verse 25 says this, Acts chapter 24 and the 25th verse reads, And as he, that's Paul, and as he, Paul, reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix did what? Trembled. Felix was afraid, yours says. Were the feelings of Felix moved? They were. It goes on to say, Felix trembled or was afraid, according to your version, and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. My friends, Felix was convicted. Felix understood righteousness, temperance, and judgment, and he trembled. Have you ever been in a situation in your own life where God, through Bible study, God, you felt, just tailor-made that Bible study for you. And, and you just, you had to get to a place of quiet rest where you could just open your heart to God and just confess or, or forsake or say thank you for sharing that with me. Uh, two weeks ago, before Miss D joined the church, now we'd been studying with Miss D for quite some time, and uh, Miss D said, Pastor Scott, I I turned in one of those cards to to join the church a long time ago. I said, Miss D, I I never got that card. I'm so sorry. She's like, so when can I join the church? Now, Miss D had jewelry all over. Well, I'm one of those pastors that discusses adornment with people prior to their baptism. And so we have a group Bible study that goes from noon to 1 on Wednesdays and then another one that goes from 1.30 to 2.30 on Wednesdays. Well, Miss D comes to both of them. The first one is about the sanctuary and the second one is to prepare those that are interested in joining the church. Now, they don't know that that's what we're doing, the ones that are coming. There are one, two, three, four. There, right now, there's four individuals in that class that are not Seventh Day Adventists. They're just coming because somebody had the uh, courage to invite them to come to the church for Bible study. So they don't know that they're being prepared for baptism, but they are. Well, this last uh, two weeks ago, before Miss D joined the church, I did a study on adornment. As we were doing this study, Miss D and the other individuals that were in there began to feel their ears. They didn't say anything. They felt their ears. They began to twist their rings. What was that saying to me? That they were uncomfortable with what? Me? Or what was on their ears and on their fingers at that point? These people love the Bible. At the, at the end of that Bible study, Miss D said, oh my, oh my, I've just got to take this off. And later, I met her in my office. I said, you know, Miss D, I did that Bible study just for you. She said, Pastor Scott, thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for having the courage to share that with me. I have never heard anything like that in my life. She said, and, and no problem, I won't have a bit of it on anymore. I was like, Miss D, that's because God spoke to you today. Oh, I know it was God, but he used you, Pastor Scott. This is how people respond when they're not confused. They respond with conviction. We'll talk about this afternoon different ways that people respond to conviction. Felix trembled. And then he sent Paul away. We don't have any other record in Scripture of whether Felix made a decision for Christ. And you will give Bible studies to people who once they hear the truth, they will say, I think that you probably just shouldn't come back anymore. Give them your phone number. I I still have a Michigan phone number. I've been out of Michigan. Oh, mercy, what is this, 2015? I've been out of Michigan almost seven years. I still have a Michigan phone number. Why? Because there's a lot of people out there that have my phone number. And I'm expecting a phone call from them any day. And when they call, you can bet I'm going to be right there to say, hey, what can I do for you? How can we help you through this? The first reason without looking at the screen that you give a Bible study is what? Lift up Jesus. Jesus. The second reason? To help them understand. understand. The third reason? To To move their feelings. And the fourth reason that you and I give Bible studies is to influence the will to make a decision. I wish that I had had an audio recorder on me at the end of one of my presentations on the topic of the Sabbath. I sat down with this family and the father said to me, I've had an incredible relationship with God all of my life and now you're telling me that... that uh, I need to be worshiping on the seventh day of the week. I just don't see it. And so I asked God, I said, God, can you help me with this? I need to know what verses to go to. And I wish that I had had an audio recorder on because God gave me verses that applied right to this man's situation. Just verse after verse after verse after verse. And he said, well, I guess I'll see you Saturday morning. We give Bible studies to present Jesus Christ. He is the drawing power. Once people understand, they are convicted and they have to make a decision. Um, what is um, Mark Finley tells us that, that when people are making decisions all throughout your Bible study, it's called the clear and set principle. Once the, the idea from that reference you're in is clear, you ask them, is this clear? Did you have any questions on this? And then you go to the next level. Eventually, they're going to get to a particular point on that climb up the mountain of truth where they have to make a decision. They're either going to slide back down this way or they're going to go all the way with God and they're going to slide this way. When you give a Bible study, people's feelings are always moved. They're always moved, especially if they understood what you were talking about, and they understood it in the light of who Jesus Christ is. So now we are influencing the will to make a decision. The intellect will give basis for the will to act. Let's go to Acts, the 18th chapter. I think you're still in Acts, aren't we? Acts, okay, Acts, the 18th chapter, and verse 4. Acts chapter 18 And verse 4. So here Paul is in Corinth. He finds Aquila and Priscilla. And then in verse 3, he joins with them because they're all tent makers. By the way, I'm giving you the sense. I'm not just going to a verse and ripping out of that verse the idea that I want. I'm giving you the sense of this verse. Now we're going to read it distinctly and then we're going to cause us to understand it. Nehemiah 8.8, the three principles, over and over and over. It says in Acts 18 and verse 4, speaking of Paul, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Is there a difference between persuasion and coercion? I was doing an evangelistic meeting, and we presented the topic of the Sabbath, and a father said this is the last time that i will come to your evangelistic meeting i'm not coming back anymore i said well do you mind if i visit with you in your home he said when would you like to come over because i have some stuff i want to talk to you about i said perfect because i want to listen and so i go over there and to his house and his whole family is there they were a homeschooling family he was an engineer Uh, his wife was a stay-at-home homeschooling mom and with all the family in the room he said to me do you mean to tell me that if I don't keep the Sabbath that I'm going to hell and I said I'll tell you what let's go to scripture and let's ask God what he desires of us he says no 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 I already know that God desires me to go to church or God desires me to worship him on the seventh day of the week you made that very clear I just wanna know Are you telling me that I'm going to go to hell if I don't keep the Sabbath? He had a 10-year-old boy that had been in the class, in our children's uh, class. While the adults are doing the meeting, we have somebody else doing the exact same topic with the kids in another room. And the little 10-year-old boy who said, I I think it was just his angel speaking through him. The little boy said, Daddy... If we read the Ten Commandments, it tells us to worship God on the seventh day of the week. And that dad was flat-footed. I wish I could tell you that he made the decision to join the church or to at least honor the Sabbath. My, by the way, in my ministry, if somebody joins the church, praise the Lord. I don't ask people if they want to get baptized. I, I just don't. They come and they say, hey, look, you know, what do I got to do to join this group? That's what happens. You've got to give Bible studies in a way that just causes people to yearn to know more. And God has given us a truth that does that. So this, this family didn't come back to any more evangelistic meetings. But guess what they have? My phone number. And the knowledge. You're absolutely right. Acts chapter 18, verse 4 says that Paul... Persuaded them. I could have told that man, yes, the Bible makes it very clear if you and I are rebellious to the revealed and understood will of God, we will not make it to heaven. I could have said that to the man and been absolutely accurate in that statement. If we know God's will, we refuse to do it, that means we're rebellious, and rebellion is what kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden of Eden. Rebellion is what had Lucifer leave heaven. Could have gone that way. But I was not coercing the individuals. I wanted to persuade them, and the little boy helped out huge with that. Isaiah 1:18, anybody know what that says? Come now, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. When we are giving Bible studies, God lets us know, I am willing to reason with you. Bring me your argument. That's what God says, bring me your argument. This afternoon, or later on this morning, do I have an afternoon meeting or do I have a morning meeting after this? I mean, how does that work? In afternoon, so so after lunch, when we come back here after lunch, we are going to learn how to allow God to reason through this book called the Bible. I have a uh, sheet that I will email to you. I'll also have it up here on the screen because we're going to be practicing. It's going to be interactive where you are actually going to be overcoming excuses with Scripture, which is quite fun. What time are we done in here? Afternoon meetings at 3 o'clock, okay? So don't take an afternoon nap. Okay, you're done at 10.30. 10.30, okay. Praise the Lord. So, as you gain decisions for Christ, there is a key to gaining... Yes, sir? I was concerned about answering that question so directly in front of the children. Mm-hmm. That's what I was so concerned about. I didn't want those children, uh, and I could have answered it very directly, right? Um... My concern was for how the children were going to perceive God in that situation. Uh, Had it been him and I and his wife, I would have said, Look, my friend, God has given us what He wants us to do. You and I love Jesus. Why wouldn't we do what He wants us to do and honor Him in this? And I could have said that in front of the kids, but I would have been much more direct with that dad. Uh, In that home and in that situation, my goal was not to turn those children against dad. My goal was to turn dad toward God and to follow that. And, uh, you know, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? But, but it was very clear. I mean, he told me that it was very clear that God was asking him to honor that. Um, yes, sir. Yeah. Let me illustrate this. We always have to allow room for the Holy Spirit to work. Christina, who we are currently studying with. I have not changed names to protect the innocent uh, because they don't need protecting. Christina... Uh, she shows up at church because her dad came to church, said, hey, this is a cool church. You need to come to it. So she shows up. Her dad stops coming to church. Christina's in Bible studies. And uh, so we continue Bible studies with Christina. Well, Christina works Thursday night, Friday night, Sabbath night. That's when she works. Thursday afternoon to late evening, Friday afternoon to late evening, Saturday afternoon to late evening. Christina, when we studied, we studied with her for probably two months before we ever got to the topic of the Sabbath because I wanted her to have this great relationship with Jesus in order to be able to to swallow the pill of the Sabbath. That was my concern in that situation because she grew up without a relationship with God, really didn't know who Christ was. So we're we're establishing that with her. And then we go over the topic of the Sabbath. And she says, what am I going to do? I'm a single mom. I work Thursday night. Friday night, Sabbath night. Those are the nights that I work. What am I going to do? I said, well, tell me. What are you going to do? I can't tell her what to do. If I tell her what to do and she can't feed her family, who's she coming to? Me. If God tells her what to do and she can't feed her family, who's she going to go to? And then who's God going to tell her to go to? (laughs) The pastor of the church, right? So... uh, Christina goes to her boss and talks to her boss. Her boss is a backslidden Seventh-day Adventist who sings gospel music at this Opry house that Christina works at. Not an opera, an Opry, you know, like the Grand Ole Opry. This is called Orange Blossom Opry. So uh, her boss sings gospel music to ease her own conscience on, after the sun goes down on Friday until after the sun goes down on Saturday. Well, her boss said, you know, I, I understand that, that you want to have the Sabbath off. Can you wait until the season is over? Now let me ask you a question. Christina needs to feed her family. She knows the requirement of God. She's worked at this Opry House for 17 years. Do you tell her to kick the Opry House to the side and to abandon people? What do you tell her to do? Pray. i tell you what I told her to do. I said, Christina, God's going to lead you. He has already shown us the truth about the Sabbath. God has instilled in you a loyalty factor that runs very deep. God wants that loyalty factor on his side too. She said, Pastor Scott, I'm going to finish this season. I'm going to honor my employer and I'm going to honor God to the best of my ability. And then once this season is over, God has me. Every time we study the Bible together, we study on Thursday morning, she says, I just can't wait till the season is over. I'm just not comfortable doing this. And I don't even have to talk to her about it. It just comes out of her. So is she convicted by God? Is God, is the Holy Spirit working on her? Absolutely. Could I tell her, look, get rid of the Opry. We'll take care of your expenses until this summer when the season is over, and then you can find a job. I could tell her that. We have the resources to do that. But is that going to enable her to stand on her own loyalty factor? In my opinion, it's not. What do you say? Well, but, but maybe she's going to be a witness to somebody else in that environment. <laughs> she, she said every Friday night and every Saturday afternoon, that's all they talk about when they take their breaks is the Sabbath. So it's, it's pretty cool. But she is, she is growing in her. She came from a nothing relationship with God to this relationship with God, do I want her to have that loyalty factor when she comes into the church? You bet. I mean, this lady comes to prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. I don't know if any of us could say we go to prayer meeting every Wednesday night. She goes to prayer meeting every Wednesday night. She goes to Sabbath school. She goes to church. And then she jets off to go up to the Opry House to fulfill her obligation until the season is over. Uh, And, you know, Satan compounds situations. This Opry House just got a new lighting. (coughs) New lighting was installed with a new light board. And who did the company train to use it? Christina. So, anyway, the key to gaining a decision is conviction. There are positive indicators of conviction, and there are negative indicators of conviction. Have you ever been under conviction? Describe conviction to me. What is conviction? All right. Conviction is uncomfortable at times. Let's back up from the result of conviction to define conviction. Okay. So conviction for you is knowing what you are doing wrong. All right. All right. So the Lord convicted you to quit your job at 55 to go to work for him. Okay. So what we're talking about are actions. What, what is the definition of conviction? That's right. So conviction then is the voice of God speaking to the conscience. That's what conviction is. I hear conviction in Christina every time we study when she says, I can't wait until this season is over. That's conviction speaking. The voice of God speaking to the to the conscience. Go with me to John chapter 3, verse 8. This is probably one of my most um, favorite verses of Scripture to quote. In John chapter 3, and verse 8, it says, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, there's giving the sense, and here's reading distinctly. Hearest The sound thereof. But canst not tell from whence it cometh or whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the what? So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Uh, Can you see see the wind? Can you see the effects of the wind? So Jesus Himself said that when He convicts people, when the Spirit of God convicts them, that we won't be able to see the Spirit of God, but we will be able to see the evidence of God speaking to the conscience. Does that make sense? We will be able to see the effects of the wind on the tree even though we cannot see the wind. Let's go to John 16:8. I quoted John 3:8. Let's go to John 16:8. The Spirit of God, when we think of conviction, most often we think of conviction as something that produces a negative or uncomfortable feeling in us. Is that true? Well, look at John chapter 16 and verse 8. It says in John 16, 8, this is Jesus speaking. He has just in verse 17, or verse verse 7, talked about the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. What I just did was give you the sense of what we are reading. Now I'm going to read it distinctly. It says, And when He is come, the He there is the comforter, Comforter, the Helper in some of your versions, the Holy Spirit. When He is come, He will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Three things that the Spirit of God is going to reprove or to convict us of. What are those three things? Sin. Sin. Okay, what's the next one? Righteousness. Righteousness and judgment. Sin, doing wrong righteousness, doing right, and judgment, the difference between wrongdoing and doing Does that make sense? So here, the Spirit of God is going to convict us of sin. When we are convicted of sin, do you think that's a comfortable feeling or an uncomfortable feeling? It's typically uncomfortable because we know we are in the wrong spot. Now, when the Spirit of God convicts us of righteousness, you suppose that's going to be a good feeling or a bad feeling? good feeling. It's like helping your wife carry in the groceries. You don't feel bad for sitting on the couch reading the newspaper or the news or watching the news. You feel good that you got up and you helped carry in the groceries. That is a good feeling, right? So the Holy Spirit convicts us of what we're doing wrong and of what we are doing right and of judgment that is to come. So we can expect when the Spirit of God speaks to people, sometimes it's going to make them feel good Sometimes the Spirit of God is going to make them feel uncomfortable, such as Christina. Sometimes the Spirit of God is going to convict them on their wrongdoing or their doing to the point where they have to change something. And what you and I are doing when we are opening the Uh, because that's the example Jesus left us. There are two times in Scripture, Jesus studying the Bible with individuals, and both of those times, he studied one theme, and he followed that theme all the way out to the end. Do you want to see those two times? I have to show you this afternoon. (laughs) I'm sorry, uh, Elder. Uh, The wonderful love of Christ will melt and subdue hearts when mere reiteration of doctrines would accomplish nothing. It has to be centered on Jesus Christ. I mean, we can... I sat down with a lady in uh, Sheridan, Oregon. Her name was Marisol. And Marisol, we're done at 1030? Marisol was the wife of Job. Joe is sitting in his easy chair right here. Marisol is sitting on a couch over here. Pastor Ron Werner was was sitting right there, and I was sitting right beside Ron Werner in their house. Now, did I say Jim or Joe? Okay, we'll keep it at Joe. Joe. Joe it's a true story. I just Jim and Joe gets confusing for me. So Joe was sitting right here and he's talking to us and he had just rededicated his life to Christ. He had just been rebaptized the Sabbath prior to us visiting in his house on Monday. Well, Joe's story is that 40 years prior to this event, Joe had married Marisol. Marisol was a Roman Catholic Joe's family disowned him. They didn't want to have a thing to do with her. He stopped going to church. He swore he would never go back to an Adventist church because the Adventist church wouldn't accept his wife. His par- He had a terrible relationship with his parents after that. And Marisol hated the Seventh-day Adventist church because of how Joe's parents treated him, how the church treated him and her. She wasn't ever going to have anything to do with Seventh-day Adventists. Well, Joe gets... The Lord gets a hold of his heart. And so we're sitting there in their living room, and I looked at Marisol, and I said, Marisol, when would you like to become a Seventh-day Adventist Christian? She hates Seventh-day Adventists. She's very thankful that Joe gave his heart back to God. And she was Hispanic, so I'm going to do my best Hispanic accent Uh, imitation. She said, you think I need to be baptized? I know drinking, I know smoking, I know cheating, I know beating the kids. I don't need to be baptized. He need to be baptized. (laughs) For 40 years, she hasn't kept the Sabbath. Here I am. This is my very first evangelistic meeting. I get my Bible out. And in my mind's eye, I'm putting on the gloves, buddy. I'm putting on the gloves because I know that this lady needs something deeper in her relationship. And just about the time I opened my Bible, God impresses me with this. Scott, you didn't say anything about baptism. So I sort of relaxed In my seat, and and I'm thinking about this. And she's just over here, fuming, just looking at us. And I said, Miss Marisol? Or, yeah, that was her full name. I said, "Did, Did I say anything about baptism? And she went from this angry look to this soft look. And she said, No. I said, Who was it that spoke to you about baptism? She said, Who do you think it was? (laughs) I said, There's no doubt in my mind. And I want you to be the one that answers that question. She drops her hands in her lap. And then she looks up. She said, But I know drinking. I know smoking. I go to church every Sunday. I know beat the kids. I'm a good person. Why do I have to be baptized? I said, Marisol, there it was again. Someone is talking to you about baptism. All I asked is when you wanted to join the church. Who's talking to you about baptism? Baptism. God I said, "Sarisol, so which Sabbath would you like to become a seventh-day Adventist Christian? This Sabbath or the next?" She said, "I think the next." She was baptized, two Sabbaths from that Monday, all because I listened to the voice of God that said, you didn't say anything about baptism. My friends, for me, this was just, I'm so glad that God put that at the beginning of my ministry. That was the very first evangelistic meeting. I went to Mission College of Evangelism, and Louis Torres says, Scott, I'm going to be out of town. You're doing the evangelistic meeting. I'm like, I've never done an evangelistic meeting. He says, well, here is my material. Preach my stuff. And so here I am with Pastor Werner and, and this rookie evangelist, and God says, you didn't say anything. About baptism God spoke to to Marisol God convicted Marisol and she's still a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church today our Savior's power was not in a strong array of sharp words that would pierce through the very soul it was his gentleness and his plain unassuming manners that made him a conqueror of hearts That's from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 3, page 477. Positive indicators of conviction. People are happy. They share with each other. They make personal application. There's tears of joy. They can't stay away from the church. Their face lights up. By the way, if you want to give me your email address, I'll email all of these notes to you. Just give me your email address. And please make sure you write in block letters so that I can understand it. Four or five weeks ago, I gave my Pathfinders at the Leesburg Church. We meet every other Sabbath afternoon from 2 to 4. I gave them a sheet of paper. I said, write down your email addresses. I will email you the stuff you need to study for the quiz for the Seeds Honor. Well, I went to enter those email addresses into the computer, and I couldn't read their handwriting. So I gave up. Oh, dear, was right. I was like, oh, great. So if you're going to give me your email address, write it in block letters. Use all caps because in email addresses, caps and and smaller letters don't make a difference. So put it all in caps, we'll be able to read it. Yes, ma'am. My my daughter's getting it. She's homeschooled. Just want you to know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, By the way, we don't really have to type anymore either. I can talk to my computer and it will... That's the way I put some of my papers together when we were in class. People can't stay away. Their face lights up. They become friendly. They ask questions. There are also negative indicators of conviction. They get sad. They reject what you are uh, sharing with them. They want to argue with you. They get tears of anger. They begin to avoid you. They get... uh, Tears of anger. Then there's anger. They're reluctant. There's objections. I see you writing these down. I'm happy to email these to you. So please just give me your email address. I'll give you all the notes I have. You can take, I'll even send you the PowerPoints if you want, or keynotes, and then you can uh, teach this yourself. They want to study more or they refuse. They have a positive or negative attitude. They make lifestyle changes. They rebel. They they make restitution or they deny that there was ever an issue. They have peace in their heart or they get restless. They say, I'll pray about it. I was in uh, Mount Tabor, Oregon doing an evangelistic meeting and we had just finished the topic of the Sabbath and a lady comes up to me and she says, I'm going to go home and pray about this. I looked at her and I said, well, I'm going to go home and I'm going to pray in harmony with you that God will give us the courage to do what we know He has already asked us to do. She looked at me with this deer in the headlight look because she was going to go home and pray to see if that's really what God wanted her to do. And I said, I'm going to pray in harmony with you that God gives us the courage to do what He's already told us to do. By the way, that lady joined the Seventh-day Adventist church. So God's the one that does this, people. God does it. He gave you your personality. You'll never be a David Asher. You'll never be a Scott Moore because that is not who God created you to be. I mean, I will never be able to be Nicole Parker, soft-spoken, pleading with a, a motherly type voice in the morning devotions for us to have a loving relationship with God. I'll never be able to do that because I'm not a mama. I can't plead in that way. But mamas can do that. When daddies are studying with daddies, by the way, this is the third time I prayed during here, I just want you to know that. When daddies study with daddies, daddies can appeal to daddies and say, God has given us the responsibility to carry our families into the kingdom of heaven. We as fathers in our home have this responsibility of God. Do you want to lead your family into the kingdom or further away? A mother can plead with a mother and say, God has given us as mothers the the desire to see our entire family saved. What would keep us from doing that? God has made you to be who you are. Sometimes, sometimes I, I do the, the hardest part of my ministry is sitting back and letting Bob give the Bible studies. That's so hard for me because I just want to jump in there. But I'm the prayer partner sometimes. When he's doing the study, I'm the prayer partner. When I'm doing the study, he's the prayer partner. That's why you go two by two, but we can get into that at some other point. Uh, it's hard for me just to sit there, but God has given Bob and Bob's armor to Bob so that Bob can reach people that Scott Moore cannot reach. Bob said to me the other day, we'll, we'll end on this one. Bob said to me the other day, he said, Scott, I, I just, man, studying with this, this guy, um, I forget his name, it's the guy that I'm not going on the Bible study with, he says he's just not making any advances. I mean, he he just wants to jump from one topic to another topic, and it turns out that he's using a New World Translation. I'm like, oh, so he has a history then with Jehovah's Witness organization. you got to be observant, right? Bob told me he had a New World Translation. I said, well, Bob, if he is a former Jehovah's Witness, or if he is a Jehovah's Witness right now, you're not going to see any progress in this man's life until he is completely ready to sever all of his relationships, and to join a new congregation of believers. That's the way it works with Jehovah's Witnesses. They won't make any advances until they are solidly sure in their mind that you have the truth. And they ju- when they jump ship, they literally jump ship, and the crew that was on that ship won't have a thing to do with them. And so Bob went into this with a new idea when it came to the individual that he's studying with. And, and he came to me after the study, and he said, Scott, that, that was just... That was incredible. I just felt such freedom knowing that this guy's probably not going to make any decisions. Bob went into that Bible study wanting that man to to know what Bob knew and to make a decision that day. Now Bob has freedom that this man is going to make decisions, but he's going to make those decisions in his own time with God's convicting power. Look at this quote. Those who yield to the influence of the Holy Spirit begin war within themselves. Those who cling to sin, war against the truth, and its representatives. You can expect that people are going to get upset with you because who else do they have to take their conviction out on? Sometimes you will be a punching bag. It's all right to get punched for the Lord Jesus Christ. People are going to get upset and they're going to get mad. It's all right. If they're upset, get upset with them, not at them. If people get mad, get mad with them but not at them. If people start to cry, cry with them. If they start to laugh, laugh with them. Follow their train of emotion as they are making that decision, and you will be a much more successful evangelist, Bible instructor. And guys, guess what? I'm trying to cram like 16 weeks into two hours, right? <laughs> Um, this coming fall, our goal, uh, we're working through Florida Conference to make this happen, is to run a three-week session where we teach people simply how to give Bible studies. That, that's the whole goal. Um, one thing I've learned is that if I can get another member out there giving Bible studies and I'm over here giving Bible studies, I've just duplicated myself. And uh, that's what Jesus did with the disciples. And Paul would say in, in Colossians chapter 1 that in his day, the entire world had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is powerful. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.